All right, man. Week 48. I had this thought. When we're done filming the podcast, when am I going to see you? We are filming this podcast? Oh, uh, well, when we're done recording, recording. this, when okay. am I ever going to see you again? Yeah, it's like this is the only time. Only time we talk, only time we see each other. Yeah, it's true. That may be oh. impetus to keep going. We just record just so we can hang out. Yeah. Eh, it might be, might be worth it. All right, man. Thanksgiving week? Yeah. Uh, what's, your sta- what's your take on turkey? bad really yep well you like if no one's watching will you get turkey or do you only get it just to kind of i get it because it's this is going to come out tomorrow at 4 p.m on thanksgiving day so you might get away with revealing this will come after you've executed on your decisions here's the deal first time through you got to get turkey because it's tradition leftovers no thanks just pitch it yeah what about there's a reason. There's a reason. I, my opinion. There's a reason we only have turkey once a year. It's just dry. It is very dry. Um, I feel like in the past several years, I've seen more people hate on turkey than I ever knew, and it's caused me to question my allegiance to turkey because of it. Hmm. Well, you go a different route though now too. You guys like fry, fry it, deep fried turkey. Very different experience, I'm sure. Where Kiera's. One of her in one of her relatives is coming to Columbus for Thanksgiving, and he is a professional turkey fryer. That's what he does for a living during this season. He's retired, helps people out. Wait, that's what he does for a living? Like I think he makes an income on this. Just goes to people's houses and fries their turkey. Mr. Miller. Like- yeah. He I'm pretty sure he like one time when I was trying to get help with uh with my fried turkey last year. I was like texting him and he said, hey, I'm in the middle of the woods. I've got bad service right now because I think he had 25 propane tanks hooked up. It <laughs> was just frying 25 turkeys was selling them the next day. That's amazing. So he's a legend. What about pumpkin pie? Where are you at on that? Uh, I'm all in. I am not. Oh. I think the consistency is pretty overrated. Not there. Here's my deal. Store-bought pumpkin pie, uh-huh. out. Homemade pumpkin pie, amazing. There you go. Yeah, we probably could just wrap it there. Well, we probably should talk about the Bible. Yeah, maybe a little. That is what the podcast is called. It's not called the Turkey Story. Some people might mistake it sometimes for like the food podcast. Mm -hmm. Two random people's takes on food. I mean, we're three minutes in, not even a mention of a scripture. (laughs) We haven't even said the name Jesus yet, but it's probably time. We are in week 48. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I don't know if it could get more dense than that. Yeah, there, uh, there's a lot of rich theology there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually, I think you, you have this uh, written down, Kiera's comments. It's actually, that's very perceptive. While the Old Testament's got a lot of big picture connection, it's challenging sometimes to find application. The New Testament has so much application, it's easy to not think of big picture connections. Hmm. I was convicted about that because I'm like, we have been trying to say, connect the New Testament with the old. And I feel like since we've did, you know, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, we've mostly been talking about application, still practical theology, but not thinking of, you know, kind of the continued themes of what we talked about with uh, yeah. the Messiah, the or the coming Messiah and the dwelling place of God. 
which yeah. I, because of Kiera's insight, I actually purposely kind of made sure we talk about it. And these books actually kind of bring at least the second part up about the dwelling place of God. Well, Galatians too has tons of Old Testament connections because there's oh, yeah. Abraham, uh, Isaac, Hagar, Sarah. Yeah. And I should clarify, yeah, we have brought it up. We just haven't talked about it in the way that we kind of have been... In the way that she wanted it. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Sorry, Key. So... <laughs> um, and the other thing is, too, is that the coming Messiah theme, you know, it, it, in some ways, I don't know if I want to say it reaches its apex with Jesus incarnate, crucified, and risen, but it does kind of uh, go quiet for a little bit but we can't forget that Jesus is coming back. Yeah, right. And that is the, you and I were talking about Advent yesterday uh-huh. and Advent really is like a season of waiting. And so as you look back, it was, you know, pre-Christ people waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Really for us, it is waiting. Advent really is about it's it's looking back, but it is also very much looking forward, waiting for the return of Christ. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just challenging because it's hard to keep that in mind when you read through some of these books where it doesn't seem like that's a constant reoccurring yeah. mention. Although it, we probably would be hard-pressed to find one of these letters where it's not, not mentioned or at least kind well, of implicitly well next week lord willing first thessalonians oh it's all over there yeah that's yeah. like the that's the purpose of the letter yeah in many ways yeah yeah and but then, even in like philippians like you've got the yeah this vision very of true every knee is gonna bow every tongue's gonna confess jesus christ is the yeah lord that's lord. great so let's go in order did you uh with in terms of galatians ephesians philippians colossians to help memorize the order of those were you raised on a God eats potato chips acronym or a, a God eats popcorn no, acronym. No, neither. No, none of, none of that. I, um, I've never heard of that actually. I don't believe you. I have never heard that in my life. I've never heard of that. I've heard of like never eat shredded wheat, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got soggy waffles, never eat soggy waffles. No, it was in Bible studies. Like people be like, Hey, you flipped to Ephesians. Well, God eats, potato chips no i was raised Good. in awana uh, so speaking of awana as we're uh, kind of getting to the half year mark we're i in the second half semester and it's worth a shout out to gil miller who i believe won the awana olympics <laughs> as a child in a race and the night before cleaned her sneakers with a toothbrush come on now yeah and i mean Lydia is, she's a decorated athlete, but... It doesn't compare it to doesn't that. It doesn't even come close. I want an Olympic champion. Just... Greater Chicagoland area. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Forget nationals. We're talking about a worker unashamed. Is that what it is? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Mm, boom. So we'll start with uh, Galatians. Uh, in Acts, it mentions briefly that Paul and Ty- Timothy and Silas went through Galatia spreading the word. This is a circular letter in the chapter 1, verse 1 of Galatians. It says to the churches in Galatia, and it seems that the letter is addressing 
uh, a time when the churches were getting threatened or taught a false gospel, false Mm -hmm. teaching about Mm -hmm. how we are saved. Because in the very beginning of chapter one, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Yep. And uh, it ends up even saying the really harsh language of if anyone, even an angel from heaven, comes and shares a different gospel than the one we proclaim to you, let him be anathema or let him be accursed. Yep. So, I mean, it, it, it seems as though Galatians, one of the major emphases in that book is a proper understanding of the gospel. But to your point, he kind of does it through a Old Testament lens yep. almost basically saying it's not as if the gospel changed it's not as if the gospel was invented after christ mm-hmm. ascended mm-hmm. like it wasn't like it was i mean correct me if you think if, if i'm explaining this wrong it's not as if actually i'd be curious if you would correct this if it's not as if uh Previously, people were saved by works, and now they're saved by faith. Right. Because he makes the connection that Abraham was counted to him as righteousness before the giving of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, that's exactly right, and that I think that's chapter three. Of, yeah. You know, and what, is that a is that? I mean, like I know he's really clear about that, but is that a you, widely accepted understanding, or would people kind of make the argument? there was a works-based component in the Old Testament. I think there definitely would be uh, people that would make that argument. I think that's not as much of a dominant thought pattern, but in you know years past, in what I would call more really rigid um, dispensational thinking, Okay. You know, there would be a line of thought that would say Israel was like God's earthly people and they were saved through their obedience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm generalizing yeah, to, an, an, to an extreme point. Um, and there was an aspect of, you know, law. And then the church is more uh, spiritual people Got it. saved by faith. But I think what we've been trying to do is see that there is this continuity between not only the Old and New Testament, but there's a continuity between the plan of redemption all throughout the Bible, mm-hmm. starting with, and even in Galatians, Paul's like, so what's the point of the law if it doesn't save you? Mm-hmm. And he talks about how it came in to restrain sin and um, all of those kind of things. Yeah, that's helpful. I, I Sometimes I get confused. I, it's one of those passages where it's such a big interpretation that Paul is making that I, I almost kind of with fear and trepidation repeat what he says because it's like you're making a very you're you're repeating a hinge interpretation yeah. of like kind of the whole thing uh, hinges off of it um, but in that too you know he's very clear that we're saved by uh, a person's not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because the works of the but by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So it's very, very clear about that. He actually mentions that there's even some conflict between Paul and Peter in the book of Acts. I mean, he's kind of recounting it, basically saying where Peter is kind of showing favoritism to people who would have been of a Jewish descent 
and kind of separating himself from a Gentile group, mm-hmm. even though... Uh, even though he believes that Gentiles and Jews are both saved, his actions, I think that's chapter two, right? Uh, um, I can't remember if that's chapter two. Peter's anyway, speech and stuff like that? Well, when he... No, yeah, when he... He's, yeah, verse 11 of chapter two, where it says Paul opposes oh, Peter. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. So Paul kind of calls him out and is like, hey, you're not acting in line with the gospel by treating these people different from... By treating these Gentiles different from these Jewish people, mm-hmm. you're not acting in line with the gospel, meaning if we believe that all people are sinful and all people are saved by grace through faith, then you shouldn't treat one group, this Jewish group of people, mm-hmm. different than this other group of people, or you shouldn't shy away from hanging out with them because you think these people might think differently of you, mm-hmm. which is a that's a super challenging thought, uh, has, you know, Right, racial implications mm-hmm. of how we think about the gospel and Has race, class, class, yeah. So yeah, like socioeconomic, yeah, ge- yeah. geographical, yeah, all, all of those kind of things. Educational, mm-hmm. um, anyways. So yeah, and and when he talks about the works of the law in Galatians, he's primary. He's not saying, you know, you 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 don't work, you don't do good things to be saved. That's true, and he is saying that by application, but he's fundamentally saying the works of the law, he's speaking there about Jewish practices. Yeah. So he's saying, you're not God's people because you are Jewish and you do these Jewish customs. Now, obviously, we can apply that to ourselves and realize we're not Christians because we go to church or we do these mm-hmm. good things. We're saved by faith through Christ yeah. as well. Yep. And so not only is you know, is uh, Paul kind of making that distinction, clarifying kind of the eternal message of the gospel that's kind of unfolded throughout scripture. He also then ends up kind of getting into the theme of what you're talking about, of how that impacts uh, the, I don't know if the presentation is the right word, but how this community of people, what this community of people looks like. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that he does, I mean, he kind of is hinting at a prophecy we've talked about a lot of different times throughout this in Jeremiah 31 about, the, you know, that's the prophecy of the new covenant that people will have the law written on their hearts. It won't be a physical uh, body of believers. I mean, it won't be like a, it won't be marked by physical separation, but it'll be marked by a spiritual separation of those who have the spirit of God dwelling inside of them. Mm-hmm. And so here he's saying, you know, to to the point of why there's conflict between him and Peter, circumcision should not separate our fellowship. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a varsity in a junior varsity Christian mm-hmm. because of Ethnic. a certain old tool yeah, an old testament yeah. ritual obedience. Yeah. Um and he the way that he does that is, you know, throughout like the gospels you see Jews identifying themselves as our father Abraham or Mm -hmm. we're like, you know, we're the sons of Abraham or whatever. And Paul basically makes the claim to what you've been saying is in Galatians three, know then it's the, it's those who have faith that are the sons of Abraham. Right. And then the other big thing too is, you know, that's like who makes up the covenant, but also how they behave is picked up in Galatians five. I mean, that's, getting in the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. I thought that'd be one thing we should touch on before we go to uh, eats, AKA Ephesians. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, anything there to talk about? Obviously, it's it's pretty straightforward about the marks of a worldly person and the marks of a someone that has the spirit in them. Yeah. But well, I think it's just you know again, what do we look for when we're looking for evidences of the Christian life? Um, Paul is saying in Galatians, like you don't look for circumcision or, you know, these Jewish, uh, aspects of life, cultural things. Uh, and he, and he makes the argument that the works of the flesh are obvious. And he kind of talks through those things. Although it is kind of interesting when Paul does these vice lists in his different letters, there's some things you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, like sorcery orgies and enmity, you know, strife. Then, then, yeah. Then it's like, yeah, slander and jealousy, and you're like, oh, well, yeah. those things hit a little closer to home. Yeah, it's later. We'll pick this up later, but I was talking to some college guys about this a couple weeks ago in Second Timothy. He's like, we will know that the end of time is near when wickedness abounds and people aren't obeying their parents. Yeah, it's right. like, oh, my word. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but then in contrast, he's like, but this is life in the spirit, mm-hmm. and it is very much like, inside out it's not do you do these things necessarily but is your life marked by these fruits love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control and someone who maybe recently has trusted in christ what counsel would you give them if they feel particularly discouraged that their life feels more marked by works of flesh and not fruits of spirit yeah well i mean i think certainly that's the whole concept of discipleship is this this is a journey it's a life a, a disciple is a student a learner so you're learning we are you and i are still trying to learn the ways of jesus and that's a lifelong pursuit it's not like okay now you're going to school and you know everything mm-hmm. no you go to school to learn these things and so we are in the, the school of jesus trying to learn how to live his ways and that's a process yeah yeah that's helpful the other thing that I was going to say before we move to Ephesians is, and this is actually picked up in Ephesians too, I, when I was reading through this, I was so convicted about how strong of an emphasis uh, there is about our actions, connection with our desires. Mm. So like right after the works of the flesh and right after fruits of the spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Hmm. Like, it's just interesting there that we're not in behavioral management. We're not trying to just like, hey, act nice and quit. Yeah. Just, you know, just hide all of your anger. Do it in private. Yeah. But it's like... Change your desires. Yeah. Yeah. And once Christ becomes the desire, or rather, as Christ continues to yeah. become our greatest desire... Yeah the more we see the fruits yep. kind of follow that. Yep. Anything else from Galatians? I don't think so. All right. How about Ephesians? Ephesians has some similar themes because there is the, there again, a big part of the, as people read this, they'll see the Jew-Gentile distinction. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2. Yeah. And it talks about this dividing wall of Jew-Gentile. And then it speaks of how, what Jesus did came to tear down the dividing wall so that the people of God there, like you said, it's not only like there's no varsity, there's no JV, but 
there's actually, you know, one new humanity mm-hmm. in Christ. Doesn't mean that there's uniformity, but there is unity. Um, and that's an implication of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's that theme. And Ephesians really is like pretty heavy theology. The first uh, three-ish chapters, and then it gets you know, much more practical of, okay, this is the truth and this is who God is and this is what he's done in Christ. And then the second half of the letter is like, and so mm-hmm. you walk worthy of that calling yep. and of, of what he's done in these ways. This is how you live as a church. This is, you know, this is what you put off and you put on in your life. Households. Households, work, you know, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Tony G, Tony Galetti would say this to me. He would say, uh, first half of Ephesians, doctrine. Second half of Ephesians, duty. There you go. It was just a way to kind of think of like, oh, he's getting all these things straight. Yeah. And it's important that it's not kind of reversed. Oh, totally. You know, you need to have proper understanding of God for us to properly have an understanding of who we are, yeah. how we behave. Even even as we think about like salvation and, you know, it's not do this and then God will do that, this. Yeah. It's, it's actually the order that yeah. Ephesians does. It's God did this, so then you respond in this mm-hmm. way. So... I do, we don't need to talk about this long because there's no way we'll be able to get to all of it. There's a strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God in Ephesians 1. Where where do you see, uh, I don't know. I I guess my initial question is to ask, where have you seen people take this and meditate and and, and kind of take it in in a, maybe an unhelpful application how could someone think in a, in a way that's helpful and meditate on these truths? Because it's not like heavy words like election and predestination. The, the, those aren't made up. Those are words people are going to read in their Bibles yeah. like this week. Um, yeah, so I think if this is kind of new concept to people, Ephesians, especially chapter 1, uh, begins talking about God's sovereignty in salvation, that he chose um, us who believe that he is like the main mover in salvation. It's not like, um, you know, we figured this out somehow. And, but the, so the healthy part of that, I think, is it reminds us that there's, to be a radical humility about us, even as it relates to our own salvation, that this is God's work in our life. The moment we think we were smarter than other people to figure this out, or we were more moral than other people to figure this out, you know, Ephesians is like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You are a trophy of God's grace. Like Mm -hmm. that is, that is what you are. Any work that has been done. It's because of God's work in you. The unhealthy way I think that can go is people can start to look at that as more of almost like fatalism or determinism of like, well, then what's the point of anything? Because this is all already, you know, this is all already decided. So why do I need to do anything? Why do I need to share my faith with anybody else? Why do I need to pray? All of those kind of things. It's like, well, you know, that clearly is not what Mm-hmm. You know, that's thinking of this more from a human logic than from a divine perspective. And even the the person who is penning this letter is talking about principles like predestination and election. And in the immediate verses following is saying, 
I am praying for you and is giving instructions and commands of do this and don't yeah. do this. And he pleads with people throughout his letters to yeah. be reconciled to God. There is not a, the one of the things my brother pointed out to me when I was first reading Ephesians when I was probably 14, maybe 15 years old is to your point about fatalism is Paul is using this language in a uh he's using praiseworthy language about God. Like it's it's a this is a blessing that God has given us and it should bring praise back to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it while it's important for us to kind of think about the ethical implications and kind of think of, you know, really just meditate on who God is and mm-hmm. his will and mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. stuff. I think to your point is, you know, there's like, it, it should lead us to a praise, yeah. uh, a, a higher thoughts of God and even, I don't know about lower thoughts of ourselves, but just a, a uh, right view of ourselves, yep. I should say. Yep. So in terms of the big picture themes we have been tracing throughout the Bible, the one that does make a shift after Jesus ascends is the dwelling place of God. And, you know, we've, we've talked about how it goes, you know, from Genesis all the way up to the New Testament where you've got God is in the Garden of Eden. Uh, then there's like special appearances in Revelation. There's the burning bush. There's on Sinai. There's the cloud, tabernacle, first temple, second temple. There's the Ark of the Covenant, you know, all these different things. And then like you pointed out in John 1, Jesus tabernacled mm-hmm. among us. Mm-hmm. So the dwelling place of God comes flesh. But now, and particularly in Ephesians 2, it actually says, it says a very powerful verse about where the dwelling place of God is now uh, that Jesus has ascended into heaven. It says this in verses 21 and 22, after kind of referring to the church's fellowship together, there should be no hostility, one new body instead of two. It says, working together, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Yeah. So... At this point of the letter, and even still today, where we are now, the already but the not yet, we know the future, but Christ has not returned. The dwelling place of God is in the people of God. It's in the church through his Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, like, it's even interesting as we think about, like, I've heard people say, like, hey, you you can't say that in God's house. Meaning, like in the physical, yeah, physical so, sixty-two hundred Linworth Road. Yeah, when in actuality, God's house, God's dwelling, is in the people that are indwelt by His Spirit, and then uniquely so as those people gather. I mean, mm-hmm. the church, the word church means assembly. Yeah, assembly called out. So, as the people are assembled, the people that are indwelt by God's Spirit—that's the dwelling place of God. That's the church. Um, so, yeah, it is. It is a it is a pretty incredible development there, and then as we saw in Corinthians when it co- talks about the the church as the body, yeah, yeah, like we are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We are we are the you know the how God dwells in the world right mm-hmm. now through His Spirit in us. It's it's interesting that verse. I'm prone to kind of make uh, superlative statements. But that verse actually changed my life because I always used to read that verse as God is building in me mm-hmm. as an individual just by myself mm-hmm. the spirit of God's dwelling place, which 
to an extent, true. is true. Yeah. However, thinking about this was a letter written to a group of people, the saints at Ephesus. Yeah. That was kind of when I started to realize, and then not to mention how much the rest of the letter is not like, there's such an emphasis on the rest of the letter of the one another's, of like teaching and admonishing one another, singing songs and hymns and one to one another. So it's crazy to think how corporate yeah. these letters are. Totally. Um, so, but that's Ephesians. Obviously a lot more that we could say there. Uh, Philippians. In Acts 16, this is where um, there's a lot that happens in Acts 16. The Philippian jailer, Lydia gets converted, um, and Paul's writing back to that church that would have been a young church of probably not a ton of people. He writes this letter to them, and he's actually in prison and starts off the letter by saying, hey, you know, I know you're worried about me that I'm in prison, but it's actually going off a lot better for me than I thought. Because I'm getting to share the gospel with all these different people. (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. He's like, yeah, the prison, the whole Roman Imperial Guard has come to understand the reason for my imprisonment. And what I love about that, we talked about this at College Bible Study over the summertime. Paul, it's not the messenger that got him put in chains. It was the message that got Mm. him put in chains. Mm -hmm. Like, Because I do think that sometimes people can be like, we can go about sharing our faith in a way that actually hinders our witness yeah. that we kind of get persecution because we're being jerks. Right. We're not being kind and gentle people. Right. But he's like, it's the message that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And if we're talking about Philippians, you got to talk about Philippians too. Yeah. That we should imitate Christ's humility. Yeah. That's a, kind of a classic uh, passage. Some believe it was actually, an, at least a portion of it was an, a hymn that the early church would sing um, but it's a, a, a rich theological statement of who Jesus is as God come to uh, earth in the person of Christ. And then, again, there's sort of that, uh, just like Ephesians, first half, second half, it's like beginning of first, you know, chapter two, it's like this is what God did in Christ. And then, well, actually, the beginning of it is more like this is, uh, how I want you to live, but it's but again, it's anchored too because this is what God has done in yeah. Jesus. Um, but then there is still even after that. So like you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you to mm-hmm. do and to will. It's His good pleasure. Um, there's also like you know, fascinatingly, there's a lot of themes of joy in Philippians, yeah. which is again, he's in jail and he's encouraging them to be joyful mm-hmm. through circumstances. Um, there's also kind of some classic, you know, really well-known scriptures, uh, in the athletes verse. Yeah. Like Philippians 4, 13, which, you know, really doesn't have anything to do with what it's most often quoted for of like, it's not, I can do all things through Christ. Like I can do anything amazing through Jesus. So you're saying that when I was in sixth grade and I wrote Philippians 4, 13, my, my DYA rec basketball shoes that didn't help me. You were heavily influenced by Steph Curry. I don't even know. He would have been at Davidson at that point. You think so? Sixth grade? I don't know. TBD. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like that classic verse, is, he's really talking about, I can, I've can. i learned to go have a lot and have a little. Mm-hmm. He's speaking of contentment there. Uh, there's also like the Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, how we deal with anxiety and anxious hearts by giving thanks and experiencing the peace of God. Uh, so very familiar uh, 
scriptures that people will will read through, but it'll be fun and challenging and rewarding to lead that, read them in the context of the, the letter. Yeah. When you have that in mind of like how the church got started and then where Paul is now, it there is a different tone with which you read it. Yeah. Especially because like he's in jail. There's this interesting interaction in chapter two where he says that he is sending <clears throat> Epaphroditus back to Philippi. What probably happened was Epaphroditus was a messenger of a letter that the church at Philippi sent to Paul in prison. He almost died on the way there. And uh, at one point, Paul, in, in verse 28 of chapter 2, he says that I'm the more eager now that he's better. Praise God that he didn't die. He says, I'm more eager st- uh, to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Mm. Like, What's interesting about that is like, and correct me if I've got this wrong, the way that I see that is that he knows that the Philippian church is anxious about Epaphroditus being sick and Mm -hmm. almost dying on Mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. And now Paul is feeling anxiety on behalf of the Philippian church saying, I don't want you to be anxious anymore. I want you in a, but like. It's very pastoral in that sense. And. It's the embodiment of Philippians too, of him yeah. not considering his. Yeah, it's is so encouraging to think through. Like, and this is not to introduce a conversation about anxiety, but I, I think like when I have sinful anxiety, it is almost exclusively about myself. Me. Sure, sure. You know, so I challenging book. Really, yeah. really looking forward to having people read through that. And then, last but not least, Colossians. Do you just want to end it there? I mean, we don't have to say anything. <laughs> Colossians. Um, this is the corn of the acronym, if you were keeping track. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, Colossians, again, pretty rich early on theology about uh, Jesus. If you were in church on Sunday, we sang the, a song called The First Place, and mm. it, the, the, the lyrics are Jesus, uh, the perfect picture of the unseen God maker of uh, things we yeah. cannot comprehend. That's all... Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Um, and it talks about the preeminence of Christ, the preeminence of Christ in the church, um, the preeminence of Christ in salvation. So there's just this high view of Jesus, and uh, we can, we call it Christology. So like, you know, kind of the doctrine of who Christ is. Colossians is rich with that. But again, there's really practical stuff. Um, I was discipled through... Uh, Navigators series that was really built around uh, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So it's like, you know, the whole process of like, yeah, receiving Jesus, but then build some roots, you know, go deeper. And that's part of the discipleship process. So, yeah. Yeah, the other thing I was going to say, Colossians and Ephesians are pretty similar letters. There's a lot of very similar themes. Um, The section that, and we actually talked about this recently through that book that we've been reading, Um, but in verse 16 and 17, that book that that we've been reading. Yeah. What's it called? (laughs) You you Are What You Love? Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that book, You Are What You Love. Um, And there's an interesting section there where the author points out in Ephesians or Colossians 3, 16, 17, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Mm. So it's interesting. Again, when I first was reading my Bible, I mean, I was kind of like the textbook kid that was cherry picking verses and putting them on my basketball shoes for my subpar basketball game. But Colossians 3.16, I used to read that in a vacuum, not realizing the way by which the word of Christ dwells in us richly is through us teaching one another, yeah. singing to one another. Yeah. Um, so it's not only reading your Bible individually, although yes. if we don't read our Bible individually, we can't teach one another. Yeah. So it's definitely both and, yeah. but I, I missed that second half of the equation for a yeah. long time. Yeah. The church almost becomes the location mm-hmm. of where we, mm-hmm. it's not the only place, but it's yeah. kind of the, one of the, one of the few means by which God, yeah. you know, through his word, through his spirit and through one another, that's how the Lord grows us. And, I'm going to, I'm, this is not a question that was submitted. We were reading through Colossians on my Friday morning Bible study. Jake Ferrier asked this question and I'm, I will, we'll, we'll take this as a question for the podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> what if, so if singing is one of the means by which God uses us to disciple one another, should we have a conversation with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ that refuses to sing. Oh man! I come don't know. back next week for the answer. That's right. I uh, I don't know. I mean, there's. I think there's a lot of different. I mean, as you think about worship, there there's certainly a time and a way to worship the Lord, even through like thinking about words without. Um, you know, actually singing them. I wouldn't want to make that application so wooden that it only refers to singing. Uh, so I think that maybe I would say it would be more of an issue if we don't ever speak about the Lord to one another. But and, and that being a part of it, so that's that's not a very satisfactory answer. But I don't. No, that's I don't, okay. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know. I haven't had time to really think about it very well. But it does. I think it makes us think. What is the point of singing? Again, your point earlier of like most of the time we think about these things as a me and Jesus thing. Like I'm here to sing to the Lord, and we don't think about I'm at the same time singing to other Christians so that when not, not that no one wants to hear me sing to them, but Mm -hmm. if they see me sing and they know what's going on in my life, there's a way that I'm teaching them and singing to them in a way, you know, we talk about like one of the ministries at our church is the music team on Sunday morning in a way, everybody on Sunday morning is a part of the music team. 1000% because if it ever gets to where it's not that, then it's a concert. The most powerful 
you know, like the music team ushers in, like invites the congregation in. They do yeah. this amazing job of inviting us in to join the music to be a quote unquote instrument that testifies to God's faithfulness in our life for the building up of yeah. other people. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing to think through. Like I actually, and I don't know if I've got this right or wrong, but I remember, uh, when my mom died, there was a temptation of, I have a lot of sorrow. I don't want to sing. And I'm not trying to put yeah. my experience on people's. This was just how I was thinking through this. There were seasons because I think our church family was praying for me so much that the Lord carried me particularly through yeah. that. Again, I'm not speaking for other people's right. situations and circumstances and griefs and how they should respond. I actually wanted to sing louder mm. during those mm. seasons because I wanted to be a test, I wanted to mm. testify to mm. other people of like, even now, when, you're, you're you're praying for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Jake, I don't know. Pro- the probably answer don't is have a good answer to that. You might need to have a conversation. Maybe, maybe. Probably doesn't have to. Maybe. Come back next week, next season. <laughs> I don't even know if there will be a next season. Next episode. All right, man, that was 41 minutes. Wow, that was long. Four books of the Bible. After, the, after this, I didn't write them down, but we're getting into First and Second Thessalonians. Well, what's your never eat shredded wheat for that? <laughs> One, two. That's second up comes my after. shoe. <laughs> That's right. So we want First, Second Thessalonians. Oh, we'll do the Timothys and Titus. Oh, let's go. All right, man. Here you go. You want to pray? I will. Father, thank you for the time to be in your word. Thank you for these books of the Bible and um, grateful for a lot uh, and should think about that more often, but I pray even over the next few days as we have opportunity to give thanks, we would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy fried turkey. Mm-hmm.